really looking forward to doing this. Uh, I don't know. This is the Broad Highway podcast. Mm-hmm. Settled on a welcome or on a roomy and all inclusive name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why on earth are we putting ourselves out there in a public forum to talk about recovery? That's a really good question. I'm kind of nervous about it, if I'm being totally honest. Me too. But I'm also really excited about it. Um, there, there have just been so many conversations that have been so important to me in my recovery. Um, and in like in becoming who I am today and that's stuff that like I can kind of try to share with other people, but it's, it's, I can't really convey the experience of kind of hearing that stuff through describing it. Right. Sure. So I think it's, it's important, especially during a time when people are kind of stuck at home behind their computer screens to, to share this, this kind of stuff with people as much as we can. Absolutely. We are recovery is against the odds right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People are being asked to be responsible and to stay away from other people so as not to kill them. Um, hopefully people are doing that. But those conversations that you mentioned, the ones that shaped my recovery, it sounds like shaped your recovery, um, are sort of less possible right now. Um, for me, a lot of those happened you know, before and after AA meetings um, mm-hmm. in and around recovery settings and treatment settings um, where people are not together in person. Uh, and it's hard. I don't know what recovery would have looked like early recovery specifically would have looked like for me um, under these circumstances, not being able to be face to face, look somebody in the eye, um, you know, really listen uh, to what somebody's sharing and then have the opportunity to, to ask follow up questions. That's just not as possible remotely um and it's hard and i really want uh recovery for for everybody and if putting myself out there is what it takes for somebody to hear something that resonates with them then i guess i'm willing to do that yeah he says same way yep absolutely Mm -hmm. so we're going to cover a lot of stuff you know i think it makes sense to start with a little bit about our own recoveries and how we got to where we are today Um, but you know, I think you and I have talked a lot about the things we aim to cover. We want to cover a lot of different stuff related to recovery Mm -hmm. from our perspective. You know, I think it's fair to say that, um, that our perspective is both individual, but also not unique because there are literally millions of other people who have recovered over generations, uh, in the same way that you and I have, um, Mm -hmm. but to really talk about it, uh, so that people who, might be saved by a solution similar to the ones we've found. Yeah. Can, can mm-hmm. be, you know? Yeah. Individual, but not unique is a really good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I don't know. I was talking with a friend recently and he was talking about how, you know, everybody sort of does it a little bit differently, but inside of a framework that's relatively universal in, in the 12 steps, which is the solution that, um, that worked for me. Uh, same here yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah well let's uh let's talk about it a little bit so my name is ben um and you know i'm a person in recovery i don't 
you know, I, I identify as an alcoholic in my recovery communities because I identify really, really closely with the central text of Alcoholics Anonymous description of the alcoholic. Uh, I really had a lot of those things described in that book. Um, very unsettled, uh, you know, very hard time sort of controlling my emotions, you know, having sort of sane and rational responses to things uh, and put a couple of drinks in me and I go nuts. Um, maybe it doesn't manifest sort of outwardly, uh, you know, and everybody around me doesn't necessarily know how nuts I am, but I know how nuts I am. Uh, and I know how desperately I want to continue feeling that feeling of, uh, of whatever substance I have in my body when that, you know, I, I hope we get an opportunity to talk about the disease model, the allergy, and, and a lot of these things that'll be sort of like topics in in some of what I've experienced in big book later on, but, um, definitely, you know, I recognize that I had a I had a different view of the world and a problem with the way that I consumed drugs and alcohol really early on. Um, and my use accelerated quickly and I was able to maintain myself for a long time. But when I say maintain myself, the trouble with that was, although I didn't have a lot of consequence to my use early on, I was hurting a lot of people and damaging a lot of relationships around me, which I think makes me an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, really anything to, to feel how I wanted to feel or get what I wanted to get. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and just a long, slow burn. My story is not unique. Um, but my experiences primarily with drugs and alcohol started with opiates young, um, learned how to, how to use all kinds of other drugs along the way. Um, I would say that my recovery has really been from alcohol, opiates, cocaine, uh, you know, cause I, I go through little phases with everything. It's kind of like, uh, with what I eat, you know, sometimes I'm on mm. like a pizza kick. Oh, totally. Um. <laughs> I eat like a, like an alcoholic 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Eat the and, same thing uh, every day I just for a eat month. Pizza for like, yeah. Um, so yeah, but anyway, uh, to make a, to make a relatively long story that I think will be drawn out over the course of lots and lots of conversation short, mm -hmm. you know, I tried a lot of different stuff in order to recover and I tried a lot of things that were um, sort of centered in me, myself, my actions, my thinking, um, mm -hmm. you know, avoiding people, places and things, you know, trigger lists, um, you know, uh, CBT, um, thinking about, you know, I don't know, I was thinking about this earlier, one of the things that you know, like halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm -hmm. We hear this kicked around. It's sort of like, um, sort of like a very passive version of CBT. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, identifying whether I was hungry, angry, lonely, or tired was not ever something that was going to break my obsession uh, with alcohol, opiates, right. cocaine, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. um, nor was it going to give mm -hmm. me an answer about how to fix the way that I felt. Um, and so what I'm really grateful for today is that, um, I found, the uh, the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and the rooms were a stepping stone to the 12 step work. Um, I actually twice went through residential programs that were focused in and around 12 step work, how to, um, how to take steps and then how to live life, um, using the principles laid forth in the, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and, mm -hmm. and that saved my life. You know, I'm, you know, years and years removed from, uh, from, you know, being miserable and 
uh, being obsessed with where my next drink or drug was going to come from, obsessed with my own comfort, obsessed with manipulating people and situations and needing to have control over everything in my life. I'm totally free from that today. And it's a direct result of that step work. You know, there are a lot of other things I do to take care of myself today, and I'm not close to, to any other pathways, but that path saved my ass. <laughs> it pulled me mm-hmm. from a place where I could not keep it together and mm-hmm. nobody wanted to be around me to a place where, you know, my life is rich and full and I, and I really love um, where I'm at today. And I, I, I tried a lot of stuff and, and for me it was the steps 100% and I still live them and I still uh, appreciate them very much. Um, they don't take up my entire life, which is wonderful because mm-hmm. I thought for mm-hmm. a long time that, you know, hey, if I get into step-based AA, I'm going to be doing, you know, I'm going to be going to a meeting every single day and I'm going to be working yeah. with a hundred sponsees and, you know, I'm going to be, you know, breaking myself, mm-hmm. uh, trying to do this work and my whole life is going to be centered around it. And, you know, happy to report that that turned out not to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nicely integrated into my life and, uh, and it doesn't take up too much of my time. I have plenty of time for people I care about and things I enjoy and I've built a nice little career for myself. So 12-step uh, uh, really fit my, my life nicely. And it's still very much a central part of my life, but it doesn't feel at all like a chore or something that, yeah. uh, you know, is a burden, um, mm-hmm. which I always thought that it would be. But Same. Yep. happy to report, not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how, about, um, how about for you? What did it, what did it look like for you? I, before I even start, I want to tell you, I like, I remember writing that piece of 10th step when I was like a few months sober, that like, this is such a fucking chore. Like everything is awful. And you're telling me I have to do this every day for the rest of my life. Like, okay, it's better than it was, but like, is this really, is this really it? And I read it to my sponsor and she kind of like, she kind of got quiet for a second and she was like, I've been doing this for like eight or nine years. She was like, it's, it's a part of who I am today and I do it every single day, but I don't have to think about it. She's like, it's just, it's just who I am. And so I kind of like was looking forward to that in my mind, like, all right, if there's like a light, like way far at the end of the tunnel that looks like that, like I'll just hang on until I get there. But like, thank God it happened so much faster than I thought it was going to. Yeah. That's a really, really important message. You know, the idea that, yeah. cause I, I don't know if I got it twisted, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of other people out there that get it twisted up thinking that, you know, this is going to basically, you're going to replace all the time you spent using drugs and alcohol or obsessing about drugs and alcohol with AA. And that, that's not true. You dedicate totally. some of that time and attention, but you get all the rest of it back that you exactly. can spend on other things. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot of work in the beginning you know, it's a lot of work in the beginning, but like you can feel yourself getting somewhere. It's like tearing off a big bandaid. You know, I had, I was running group one day and I, uh, a woman asked me, so what does it feel like to be sober in the 12 steps? Are you just, do you just feel high all the time? Um, and it like, it broke my heart a little bit, you know, it's, it's, it's so hard to really convey the equanimity that kind of comes with with step work and like how the degree to which it kind of like fixes everything that's that's so broken 
you know, it's like everything that I was looking for in drugs and alcohol, I've, I've found in this work times 10. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. You know, it was not in any way, shape or form a cure-all, but it's given me tools to apply to just about everything that was fucked up about me before I found it, you know? Yeah. Um, So tell us, tell, tell our audience uh, a little bit about yourself and, and how you, found yourself in a place where you're putting yourself out there on a, on a <laughs> fucking podcast. Where I'm recording yeah. this for posterity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm Val. Um, yeah. So I didn't really start drinking or using. So I, before I even say that, I identify always in meetings as an addict and an alcoholic because I identify with the disease of alcoholism and the solution to it. Um, but I also remember being the newcomer in meetings and hearing people say, hi, I'm so-and-so and and I'm an alcoholic. And like the switch would just flip right off. And I just didn't want to hear anything that you had to say because I'm a fucking heroin addict and you don't understand me. And, you know, we're not the same. Um, and obviously that's not true. Um, but you know, so in, in as much as I'm always kind of speaking to the newcomer or speaking to someone who might relate to me, like that was my experience coming in. So that's why I always identify that way. But yeah, I didn't really find drugs and alcohol as like a solution to how awful I felt all of the time until my mid twenties. So it was, you know, 24 years of just kind of trying to accept that I was always going to be miserable, was never going to like, you know, be able to sleep well through the night, you know, um, constantly trying different, like my, my life took on so many different like iterations because I was looking for the thing that was going to kind of finally make me happy. So, um, and I'll get into that more, like as we, as we talk, um, but Yeah. So then in my mid twenties, I found heroin and uh, like, I have like a very distinct memory of being in my car. It was like the first time I had ever picked up dope by myself and I got high and I sat in my car and I like looking back on it, I can recognize that I just took a full on third step to the power of heroin as I understood it in that moment. Like I, I need this every day for the rest of my life. And I am willing to do anything that it takes to get it. Like I finally understood how other people seem to be able to like function in the world. Um, And actually for a while, like I, I became convinced that like everybody must just be on something all the time. Like, you know um, I was like living in New York at the time. And I remember like walking down the street and being like, what's she on? What's he on? You know? Um, Yeah. And things like went to hell really, really fast. My disease had like a very fast progression. Um, and it definitely was not limited to heroin. Um, I had a big problem with alcohol that I wasn't willing to admit to myself for a really, really long time. And that, uh, held me back from, from like fully engaging in 12 step work for a long time because, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I can still drink. I can drink normally. I'm like lying to everyone in my orbit about it and like counting down the minutes until I can, you know, 
quote unquote drink normally again. Um, and yeah, I mean, step work for me was, was the very last thing that I was willing to try. Um, for a, a number of reasons, I had so much judgment about meetings and people at meetings and a lot of the stuff I heard at meetings. And I would read through like the list of the 12 steps and see so many, like, see like the word God and, um, you know, like moral inventory. Like I take a moral inventory every day. I know exactly what a fucking piece of shit I am, you know? Um, and I, I had no idea. I, it, you know, turned out I had absolutely no idea what it was really about. And when I finally committed myself to doing this fully, like things got so much better so quickly for me that it, it like gave me whiplash a little bit. Like I remember, I remember like actually like someone close to me passed away when I was just a few months sober. And I remember like writing fear inventory about it and calling my sponsor and being like, this is devastating and it's, it's heartbreaking and it's awful but like, I don't want to lie in bed all day and I don't want to starve myself and I don't want to get high and I don't want to do all the other things that I've been doing to cope with things for so long. So like, I need to prepare myself for when that comes. Cause I'm just in denial right now. Right. Like I, I need to be ready. And she was like, Val, like, this is what it feels like to deal with things in a healthy way. She was like, you're, you're fine. And she was right. And I, it just like, it astounds me. It, it feels like I have superpowers every single day when I can just walk out into the world and just deal with shit in a way that I could never before. Yeah. That's who yeah. I am. <laughs> it does feel like superpowers when you've never been able to before. Um, yeah. I, I've had a really similar experience where just being able to manage like daily tasks and responsibilities being like, mm -hmm. I am a God amongst men, you know? Um, oh, you made it to your doctor's appointment and showed up for work on time. Like, wow. God status, right? Like, oh, you paid, you paid your bills on time two months in a row. Oh, mm -hmm. Must be a God. Nobody else can manage to do that. Um, but you touched on, you know, a couple of different places in the, in the 12 step work, you know, the third step and the 10th step. And I have a lot of hope that we're going to have an opportunity for anybody who doesn't know, much or anything really about um, about the 12 step work and the solution that can be found there or has been found there by us and millions of other people uh, mm -hmm. that we can really break that down and talk about what our experience was in it. So the third step is um, uh, I'm blanking because I'm looking at myself on the on the zoom video, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's really about sort of turning your your will and your life over to the care of a power greater than yourself. And, and mm -hmm. we, we can sort of talk about our experience in that down the line, I expect to have lots of um, I don't know, I guess we'll call them uh, rowdy conversations about uh, spirituality <laughs> and, and God, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, because I needed to hear some of those heated arguments back and forth as, oh a, God, as yes. an audience member to be able to form my own opinion. Mm -hmm. And then also 10 step inventory about, you know, really um, continuing to, to set ourselves up for success in this step process. So for anybody who doesn't know anything about the steps, the, those, that's the third and the 10th step. I need to yeah. try and remember the audience when I'm talking about this because I'm so used totally. to talking about recovery to 
people who know, not only people who know uh, what recovery is like, but very specifically who have recovered the same way that I did. So yeah. I take a lot of liberties and, you know, I don't go into the explanation and, uh, and I really want to make sure that we're welcoming an audience of people who have no idea, never attended mm-hmm. an AA meeting, never seen the steps on the wall at the, mm-hmm. in the basement of a church, mm-hmm. never had a, a blue book thrown at them. Right. Um, but That's so, such a good point. And, and I want to stress too, that if you're listening to this and you are familiar with the steps or, you know, you know a little bit about them and you think that we're absolutely full of shit right now or you think that you know the steps are bullshit like I did too for a very long time so you're you're not alone in that oh yeah and I don't take any offense (laughs) (laughs) I mean truly uh, if you think what I have is nonsense then you're missing something and I feel for that Uh, Mm -hmm. I want to help because you know truth is when I wake up in the morning and when I go to bed at the end of my days they are a thousand times better than I ever imagined they could be Mm -hmm. just just on an internal level, uh, I am no longer vibrating at whatever, <laughs> at whatever frequency <laughs> I was vibrating at before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I look myself in the mirror and uh, and I can be, you know, pr- proud of my accomplishments today. I can I can feel useful to other people. I can sleep at night. You mentioned sleep. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, I can sleep and and <laughs> I can sleep. Uh, I can go to bed at a reasonable time and I can wake up at a reasonable time, both. Uh, Mm -hmm. So God status. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. really looking forward to some of these conversations and and I think maybe now is a good time to talk a little bit about you all as listeners because we want to invite you in to the conversation um, mm-hmm. we have an email address which is the broad highway podcast at gmail all one word um, feel free to reach out and let us know if you agree with us, if you disagree with us, if you have any questions at all about any of the stuff that we're talking about, feel free to make suggestions about topics we might cover or things we might share our own experience around because mm-hmm. this is not for us. Uh, exactly. I frankly hate talking about myself. If, if I'm being honest, every time, you know, I, I agree every time that I'm asked to tell my story, but only for the fact that it might help somebody else because mm-hmm. I have been talking about myself for my entire life i'm just totally tired of it <laughs> like <laughs> i remember being a little kid and trying to explain you know how it was for me and what i thought and how i felt all the time i mean there was no room for anybody else uh 
So I'm, I've grown really, really tired of it. So very much looking forward to hearing from other people and letting other people For sort of sure. guide how this can be most helpful to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I spent years and years and years in therapy, like telling the same stories over and over again and like trying to find a version of the story that I could kind of live with, you know, it's, it's, it's different, you know, speaking from this kind of vantage point. I certainly never thought that I would find like a passion for public speaking. Mm, I have the exact opposite of that. I have a passion for avoiding public speaking. <laughs> Part of it's fear. I want to, I want to make it sound like, Oh, I just don't like talking about myself. But the truth is I don't love putting myself out there. And I'm mm. always, always a little afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Um, mostly cause I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, because I know what that's like. I used to have mm -hmm. my feelings hurt a lot, but oh, uh, but at the same time, sometimes hurt feelings lead to growth. You know, my feelings got hurt a lot, and it led to a lot of personal growth along the way. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. but whatever. So another thing that I'm really hopeful for is that I'll get to share some some pretty embarrassing stuff about myself. Um, I'll try not to cover it up with humor um, uh, wherever possible because I think it's really important. Some of the places that, um, that were hardest for me to deal with and some of the things that, that were hardest for me to come back from, I think might actually benefit somebody else because when I wasn't around people in recovery, when I didn't have a recovery community, when I wasn't in meetings or in a 12-step community, I, it was impossible for me to fathom that other people were going through some of the same things that I was going through or had mm. gone through and recovered mm -hmm. some of the things that I was going through. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to putting myself out there in that way, if it might yeah. help somebody else. Cause I really truly thought that I was the only person in the world who thought and felt and acted the way that I was. Uh, and that's just not true. I was, I'd be, I'm reminded of that every week sometimes daily mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I was I felt the same way and I was offended if someone told me that I was not the only one because I knew in my heart that I was it was did, really humbling to learn that like I was not alone in my pain did you did you have that um that like alcoholic uh I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but I used to sit in rooms and people talk, would talk about their experience and how big air quotes on this bad things got. I used to be like that fucking guy mm -hmm. is never, he will you never understand. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's ridiculous. Um, that's ridiculous because even though the experiences, the consequences, the misadventures of our use uh, might look different, the, the feeling around it, you know, I think I've had that feeling since I was a young, young man, um, mm -hmm. probably before I started using drugs and alcohol. Uh, and that's a miserable feeling I don't want Definitely. anybody to experience. So sitting judgment of that, regardless of sort of like how far down the scale somebody's fallen is ridiculous. So uh, mm -hmm. really looking, looking forward to having people whose uh, bottoms and, uh, you know, sort of experiences and what led them to recovery are totally different from mine because- most people don't make it back from, from where I came from. Um, yeah. Same here. Same here. I, I think about that every day that I, I'm still just kind of stunned that I'm here. So I've got to, I, I mean, I've got to make that mean something. Right. 
Mm. I've got to share that. I've got to share that with someone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if it means sharing it with somebody else so that they might benefit for sure. Um, And one of the things that I want to be really uh, focused on in having these conversations is making sure that people have access to opinions that are not my own. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, because I'm not for everybody. That's the truth. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I've started uh, sponsor sponsee relationships with a lot of people that I ended up just not being for, Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason. Um, And those people have gone on and found people who were for them and have recovered and, uh, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it just wasn't me. It wasn't going to be me. So don't let me and my personality and everything else sort of stand in the way of the message um, that recovery is not only possible, but when you, when you make a decision to start working on it mm-hmm. and you get serious about taking action in your own recovery, it is not only possible, it is probable. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. When you start steering again, um, and hopefully that steering leads you to, <clears throat> uh, 12 step work and, and connection with, uh, the spiritual side of yourself and a power greater than yourself. But when you actually start putting one foot in front of the other and taking some action, you can recover fact. Yeah. That was a promise made to me really early on was that if I did this honestly and thoroughly that I would get better despite, you know, despite all my fighting and whining and bitching and screaming, you know, that if I did it, I would get better. And it, it, it happened really fast, really yeah. fast. You can, you can recover in spite of yourself. I know that's me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> nothing about me and my nature um, had what it took to recover early on, but mm-hmm. took some action, started to heal, started to grow, et cetera, et cetera. And we can talk more specifically about what that looked like, but you know, from a place of being hopelessly addicted hopelessly alcoholic, burning, torching every relationship in my life, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, facing jail time. God, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, I had just sort of fallen down the scale that far. Um, Mm -hmm. But to a place where uh, not only, okay, I'm great. Yeah. Truly. It's weird to say that. I'm I'm good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it was... It was a strange progression for me because I didn't start with drugs and alcohol until I was, well, I didn't get bad with drugs and alcohol until I was 24, but I had been miserable for a long time before that. So what I needed to find was something that was going to make me feel better than drugs and alcohol, which didn't seem possible. Someone said that to me and I was like, she said, if you, if you do this, the way that I tell you to do it, you know, you're going to feel better than, than drugs ever made you feel. And I thought bullshit, but I was at a place in my life where I had no other choice. There were no other options. It was either do this or die. So, okay, whatever. Like, tell me, what do I, what do I have to do? And like, sure enough, I did these things one by one and like it fixed it fixed the thing that was broken in me to begin with that made me need drugs and alcohol in the first place. Yeah, me too. And that's not, I'm not saying that in trying to like oversell it or to sound like overzealous by any means, but like in a very real and very practical way, like 
this work has given me the ability to function that I, that I had been looking for since I was six years old. Tell me what you tried, um, to fix yourself before you took some action in the steps. Like clinically, like to get well, everything from addiction clinically, or... non, uh, non-clinically, whatever, whatever Ooh. you tell me, tell me how much time make, you got. Just make me a list <laughs> of all the things that you tried to fix yourself, um, and to recover from, or at least, uh, I don't know. I wasn't actually looking to recover. I was looking to use in safety, but tell yeah, me all the things yeah. you try to do to manage. Okay. So before drugs and alcohol, it was playing in bands. Um, you know, hanging out with the right people, um, getting into a relationship, you know, um, being, I, I definitely suffered from terminal uniqueness always. I always had to be different, different, different. Um, so, you know, I was like the kid, even in high school, like living a double life before drugs and alcohol, um, going to school during the day, getting good grades, going to a conservatory and playing classical piano on the weekends, and also having this like separate group of like older friends who had dropped out, um, you know, who got me into like, you know, underground music in Boston, um, at a young age and yeah, like, ju- like just looking for myself um, moved to New York when I was 17, um, went to my dream school, graduated early, um, and was still miserable. Um, got out of, like, I was in a seven year relationship with an amazing guy, um, who I, you know, resented because he couldn't fix me. So I ended that. Then I started like dating the bad boys and playing around with that stuff. And then I started to become like really attracted to chaos and joblessness and homelessness and traveling around all all over the place, you know, moving to a thousand different places, like living on the road. Um, Yeah, like life took so many dark turns before I even found drugs. Um, but it, but it always ended in misery. It always ended with me. I had for a really, really long time, I had this like really specific fear about going to sleep at night. Um, I would, I would wait until I was exhausted so that like the moment my head hit the pillow, I would fall asleep. So, I mean, drugs and alcohol helped a lot with that because then I could just pass out. But what I hated was like that, those few minutes of like being alone with myself at the end of the day and like having to reflect and having to be alone in my own mind. I hated being alone in my own mind. Um, Drugs and alcohol helped with that, you know, until they didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Toward the end of my use, I would go and I actually remember like, getting a bag of dope and having it in my hand and like realizing like, this is, this is the best that I'm going to feel is right now is just having it handed to me. Like, it's not gonna, I'm going to get high. It's not going to make me feel as good as I want to feel. 
And I'm going to immediately be thinking about what I have to do tomorrow to make the same thing happen. It's just like this, like horrible, horrible merry-go-round. I never had those kind of conversations with myself. You hand me a bag of dope and I go, dope, yes, that's it. Uh, I was never able to be introspective in that way. Um, <laughs> but that's interesting. I'm sure if I was capable of those kind of conversations, I would have had them, but I was not. Tell it's, me about tell me about the things you tried to get well. The things I tried those, to get well those, to fix those pieces of yourself that were mm. that were messed up before you found the 12 steps. Lots and lots of therapy, lots of different kinds of therapy, talking therapy. I had when I was in the fifth grade, I saw a therapist. Um I almost, I came so close and I'm going to age myself right here, but I almost became a victim of what was going on in the nineties with, uh, recovered memories. Um, because I had this therapist who was just like, there is something very wrong with you. You know, like you must have experienced something horrible at some point in your past, like try and figure out what it is. And if you're, unfamiliar with like the history of this stuff. Like there was a period in the nineties where this, this happened a lot with like therapists with really good intentions. And a lot of people started to, to create memories, um, of things that didn't, hadn't actually happened. So things like satanic abuse and satanic rituals and, um, like horrific sexual abuse, like things that, you know, that happen, you know, um, but there were a lot of like terrible consequences from these, these recovered memories. Um, and I came, I came this close. I think I got out just in time. She's indicating um, very closely with her fingers. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I talk with my hands a lot. That's going to be a problem. We'll fix We'll, we'll make sure to, to go back and describe to the audience what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I do the same thing. <laughs> She's indicating she came very closely to um, having repressed memories that did not belong to her. Yeah. Uh, sort of mm -hmm. planted and changing and probably destroying her life. Yeah. Which unfortunately and happened to many, probably many people other people's because, lives. Yeah. Yeah. Because that sort of manipulation and, and even unintended. So sometimes intentional and, and sometimes mm -hmm. unintentional, um, these sorts of tools and, and how deep uh, into a person's conscious and subconscious uh, some therapeutic modalities can go lead mm -hmm. to just exactly this stuff. If, if used incorrectly, it can be very dangerous. Absolutely. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So go on. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, no worries. I'm glad you did. Um, so I saw therapists all through my childhood um, into adulthood, was diagnosed with so many different things, um, you know, psychiatric illnesses. And none of those diagnoses really, like they resonated, you know, because obviously there was something wrong with me, but none of them seemed to really be getting at like the root of the problem or like really fully described who I was and, and like the way in which I was suffering. Um, so yeah. So then after I found drugs, it was like a lot more therapy, I, I remember doing a lot of group therapy. I remember I was in like a thousand Suboxone programs. Um, 
I was always like kind of the teacher's pet in those places. Um, I always had like a great relationship with the therapist and, you know, had like amazing conversations one-on-one that did absolutely nothing for me. Um, was in like a methadone clinic for a while. Um, I was in a thousand different programs. You're um, exaggerating. <laughs> I was a in lot. a lot of different programs. Yeah. Um, and I would always like, I would always like graduate with flying colors and especially toward the end, I had a lot of conversations with counselors in those places where I'd be like, you know, I'm fucking terrified. Like I- I've done this so many times and I know that I'm going to go and I'm going to get home and I'm just going to get high again. And they'd be like, don't sell yourself short. Like uh... you've got what it takes, you know, you can do this. And mm, no, I did not. They don't know. Yeah, exactly. They don't know. They don't know what it takes. They don't know. Exactly. And this is broad over generalization, but somebody who has not come back from the brink of insanity mm-hmm. uh, does not necessarily know what it takes to come back from the brink of insanity. Yeah. So how could they? I don't yeah. even fault them for it, but stop pretending like you know. Oh, you've got what it takes? People told me that too. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. absolutely 100% can say for sure I did not have what it took. Mm-hmm. And I knew that before I found out the hard way right right So tell me about your experiences trying to get well. I didn't try and trying to fix yourself. I didn't try and control my, my drinking and drug use for a long time. For a long time, I thought that that was my solution. Um, when I started uh, experimenting with drugs, specifically in high school, I just figured out what I needed because um, mm. I'd been uncomfortable for a long time. I was kind of like a nervous, fearful kid that manifested in a lot of different ways. Um at least inwardly, you know, outwardly, mm-hmm. I think uh, I had figured out sort of ways to, to hide that pretty well. In fact, mm-hmm. I know I had, mm-hmm. because if anybody had any idea what was actually going on with me, I probably would have been in like intensive psychotherapy um, mm-hmm. from an early age, but I managed to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I helped hit, uh, hit it well. But when I started using um, with, with drugs specifically, just when I was in high school, I, I really only used drugs. I only drank couple of times when I was in high school which is strange but I played sports and sports the penalty for being caught drinking was severe um Mm. and but drugs were readily available and um, much easier to hide so I I was able to avoid alcohol for a long time just based on the idea that I didn't like the consequence that might come Mm. Uh, so I got high, you know, I started smoking weed and, you know, I messed around with pills, et cetera, et cetera, um, which accelerated quickly and got worse and worse. But I didn't try and control. I don't ever remember really trying to control my drug use. I tried to mm. expand it. 
my, my sort of mission and goal in life was to get high the way I wanted all the time every day. Um, I had barriers to this. I had financial barriers to this. I had personal responsibilities that wouldn't allow for it. You know, I was trying to graduate high school, which I did by the skin of my teeth. I was trying to play sports in college, which I ended up failing miserably at as a result of my addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, well, really probably as a result of my low talent level, but par- partially because of my addiction, you know, mm-hmm. talent can only take you so far. If I'd had, right, the, right. If I'd had the, the gumption to, to actually mm-hmm. do the work, I probably could have succeeded at least in some small way, but I had no intention of controlling my use. I wanted to expand my use. I wanted mm-hmm. to live in the safety and comfort uh, that taking a drink or a drug into my body gave me all mm-hmm. the time. And I was able to, for a time, there were consequences um, things would blow up in my face. I got into a lot of fights. Um, my family relationships got strained. It became harder and harder for me to, you know, form close personal relationships. It's hard to make friends when you're nightmare train wreck out of control. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, so I relied heavily on friends, uh, that I, you know, had had my entire life and didn't use and drink the way that I did. And, and, blew up those relationships but I don't really remember trying to change anything about my relationship with drugs or alcohol Mm -hmm. uh until golly um years after that I had people try and change it for me Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people who everybody around me recognized my problem before I did Mm -hmm. uh I was sort of in a sort of passive way sort of intervened on told that seeking some treatment would benefit me and i saw it i saw that it would benefit me because it would get people off my back so i mm-hmm. sought some treatment when i was pretty young um you know i sought uh you know to be seen as wanting to get well you know i sought therapy right. and counseling um and you know i was forced into you know and then it became being forced into treatment i would be forced into treatment by my family um that happened a, a couple of times, uh, you know, once for a long period of time because they were convinced that I was going to die. And I was convinced that as soon as I was done being treated, I was going to get high again. Uh, so these were opposing viewpoints that didn't mesh. Um, but then I started to, to recognize, you know, when I was, you know, when I was very alone in my use, when the people around me weren't using or drinking the way that I was, or vice versa, everybody around me was using and drinking the way that I was, and things were really destructive. Mm-hmm. I was very drawn to that sort of like chaos, uh, life of chaos. I wanted things to be very, very dark um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's where I sort of felt most comfortable using and drinking the way that I did. Um, that's when I started to, to try and control things. I, uh, you know, it's referred to in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous as a geographical, geographical is picking up and moving far, far away from all of your triggers and all of your Mm -hmm. people and all of your dealers and et cetera, et cetera. And I did that many times. Oh, Um, I've bounced all Mm -hmm. over the country. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, uh, you know, the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has this like whole long list of attempts to control. I did a lot of those. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really specifically just putting all, remember putting all of my sort of hopes and dreams, I would rest all of my hopes and dreams on the next thing. Mm-hmm. Relationship, job, new uh, living environment, be it where I'm living now or halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. 
um, just the next that fix me cars. I don't know. I didn't really buy that many cars, but you know, like the, the next sort of material possession was going to somehow make me feel better or okay. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what it looked like. And then there were times where I recognized that I needed more than that, that a lot of, you know, the next thing was not going to come that I needed something different, that I really actually needed treatment. And the first time I got serious in treatment, I had an experience. Uh, it was a 12-step based treatment. And my attempt to control became my attempt to live abstinent from drugs and alcohol, uh, mm -hmm. which was a really important shift. I can't control my drinking and drug use. I put a drink or a drug mm -hmm. in my body mm -hmm. and I can't control my thinking and I can't control my craving or obsession around that. I can't do it. I thought that I could for a long time mm -hmm. and I convinced myself after a period of sobriety that I could again. Um, I thought I had grown up enough personally that I could go back to drinking and using sanely and rationally, but I could not. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, ther therapy was a great one. I remember being so angry at so many therapists and counselors because they couldn't fix me. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I was totally lying to them. I was not being truthful about anything that was going on with me. Mm -hmm. And I was not willing to do anything that they asked me to do, mm -hmm. but I was still somehow able to blame them when things didn't get better for me. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of what they were saying really didn't, you know, it was, um, it was like surface level uh, stuff, you know, stuff that treated, you know, bad feeling and depression and sort of some like low grade, you know, generalized anxiety. And it was, I'm sure, I'm sure it's been very helpful for lots of people who experienced that, but it didn't have mm -hmm. anything on. Um, I want to live on the brink of death 24 seven, 365 for the rest totally. of my life. Oh my God. Yes. Cause mm -hmm. I love that razor's edge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I had a lot, a lot of attempts to control that were were really just attempts to drink and use in comfort and safety. Mm -hmm. The average person, when they, you know, when they dream about winning the lottery, mm -hmm. right? This is a really good example. Mm -hmm. when the average person dreams about winning the lottery, right? They want to buy a house. They want to retire. They want maybe, you know, maybe they're a boat person and they want to, they want to have a speed boat, uh, you know, and a nice car, a luxury mm -hmm. car, and maybe a few of them. Um, and not have to work anymore. Mm -hmm. I used to want to win the lottery specifically so that I could basically weld myself into a steel box and use heroin until I died. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, different, different. I saw no, um, I saw no future for myself that included a house and a, mm -hmm. a boat, hobbies, right. uh, family, etc. Saw none of that. I just wanted to drink and, and use the way that uh, made me feel good. Um, and the only, you know, progressed to a point where the only place I felt good was on the brink of death. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that's really scary. Um, yeah. Anything short of that was boring. Yeah. Yeah. But, but enough about me. I mean, I guess, so hopefully this gives everybody who's listening, uh, just, a a general sense that we know what we're talking about based mm -hmm. on our own experience uh, and a general sense of what we hope to talk about sort of openly um, because that's having an open forum in these times where we're so disconnected from one another 
or people might not have an opportunity to hear somebody else's experience in a meaningful way mm-hmm. or to be able to ask questions. Like I hope that, uh, that you all do, uh, don't hesitate to, to write us at the broad highway podcast at gmail.com and to really start a community of people that are interested. doesn't matter where you are. If you're hearing some conversation about recovery for the first time, welcome. If you're fully recovered in a different pathway than us, welcome. And mm-hmm. please reach out and let us know what works for you. Um, Cause we're going to talk about what works for us, but we want to include lots of conversation about, you know, other things uh, that Definitely. people have found mm-hmm. you know, for me, it was the 12 steps were the only way that, um, that could free me from the insanity that I was trapped in day to day to day to day to day. But that insanity looks different for other people. My kind of insanity needed that level of commitment and direction and Mm -hmm. that level of spiritual experience. But, um, but I'm hoping that most people don't. Yeah. I mean, what worked for me was being given kind of the ability to explore everything and see what worked for me and ultimately it was the 12 steps um was the only thing that ever made any difference you know to me but I think the idea is that we want you to be able to draw your own conclusions for sure that's the idea you know I guess that that was you 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 figured out why I was asking about the attempts to control, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. God, I tried everything. Me too. Everything I, I could think of to try. And I don't think if I had, had, if there was anything else left to try, I think I would still be out there. Um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Looking forward to talking very specifically about what a crazy person I, I was and, and am mm. and would be if I were to, to introduce drugs and alcohol back into my daily routine, daily yeah. obsession. Yeah. I went to some dark, dark places that I'm totally scared to talk about, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, me too. Um, I want to say that my fear is about like, I don't know, people that can relate sort of like re being re-traumatized or, but now it's just, I don't want to fucking put it out there. We'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. We'll figure it out. (laughs) But enough about us. We look forward to continuing this conversation and um, look forward to hearing from anybody who's interested. Again, the Broad Highway Podcast, all one word, at Mm gmail.com. Look for us. Some of the things we hope to expand into as well are, you know, some step workshops or explanations um, for people that are interested in a step-based solution. Uh, you know, maybe some public forum uh, conversations about some of what we're talking about in the future when we're not locked inside of our homes in a pandemic so we don't kill each other. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hopefully the, the podcast can be a springboard for some real life experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to you all later. Thanks. <laughs>